Well, I have no idea what you made of the comments on the screen. Um, uh, do you remember them? It's honestly the best thing, exclamation mark underlined, that I've ever, ever, ever done, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I'm much happier now than I was. My life has been full since coming to Jesus. I experienced real life. I am blown away that God accepted me even though I rejected him. I can't even imagine why God would love me so much. Now, is that a surprise? To many people it will be. To hear people speaking about following Jesus in those terms, in such positive terms, many people I meet think that following Jesus is dull and boring and restrictive and limiting. Now, I don't know what you expected when you came here today. It's great you've joined us, if you are here as a guest. Uh, Thank you very much for coming. I know it's not an easy thing coming to a church when you've not been for a long time or even ever before. I don't know what you've made of this evening so far. Noel Edmonds of Deal or No Deal fame, Noel Edmonds said that the church is the most boring experience on offer. Clearly he's never watched an episode of Deal or No Deal, but that was another thing. (laughs) Um, No, seriously, seriously, I, I know what he means. As a lad, I used to go to church and found the whole thing overwhelmingly tedious. And I meet people today whose experience of church is that it's totally irrelevant. Even if they enjoy it, it doesn't connect with life. So what a surprise to find people saying on the screen there that meeting Jesus is exciting and dynamic and fulfilling. Now if that's a surprise to you, then these words from the lips of Jesus are, are sure to be a surprise. Uh, you might like to turn back in the, in the service order to those words that we had read uh, just earlier by... Um, Uh, by Rita, and you'll see um, just on the second part there in verse 10, line 10, John chapter 10, Jesus says these words, what a surprise they are. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you see it there at the end of verse 10? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. There are people I speak to, you see, who think that Jesus is about ruining life. A friend of mine Uh, put it to me like this. We were speaking about Jesus. I'm a clergyman. Inevitably, people ask me about my job. Often conversations get on uh, to Jesus. I'm really thrilled to talk about him because I think he's fantastic. But uh, this is how it went. And when he said this, I said to him, can I quote you sometime on this? Because it was a great quote. As we were talking about Jesus, he said to me, look, Paul, I really enjoy life. I'm financially secure. I'm at a point in my life and in my career where I don't have to work all the time. I have my health. I have leisure time and I have the means to enjoy it. And then he said, with all due respect, Paul, I really don't want to spoil all that by following God. Now, you see, I was really pleased he said that. He was honest enough to put into words what other people only think, that following Jesus would be stifling, confining, that it would cramp his style. Now, I wonder if you feel that as you've come here today. Well, look, I know that some people do think that's way and that, that, that way, and that's why Jesus' words here are such a surprise. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and enjoy it to the full, life to the max. Jesus, you see, has a passion for life. He hasn't come to ruin life or to take all the fun out of life. That's what he's saying here. Now, I haven't yet met anyone who doesn't want to enjoy life to the full. One day I'm bound to meet someone like that. You see, when I ask people what is your aim in life, and particularly people who are setting out in life, no one yet has said to me when I say, uh, what do you want in life? No one has said to me, I want to be positively average. Uh, I want to have a really mediocre life. 
No one said, I mean, one day somebody might, but no one said that to me yet. I've met lots of people in midlife and in old age who feel that their life has been pretty mediocre, sort of run of the mill. You may feel that yourself today. But no one makes that their goal in life. Not actually when they're setting out. We want to enjoy life to the full. Joyce Carol Oates, uh, the US novelist from the 1930s, said this, We're here to feel the joy of life pulsing in us now. We all want to enjoy life to the max, don't we? And that, here's the surprise, that's what Jesus wants for us. What a surprise for the many people who think that life is like, Jesus is life's great party pooper. And what Jesus is talking about here is not just a great high uh, or a fantastic one night stand. He's offering something that lasts and something that we are, whether we recognise it or not, something that we are all looking for deep down. But if that's a surprise, then there's something else. And, and I think this might be the greatest surprise of all. Jesus says here, I want to give you life to the full, unlike everything else around you in the world. And do you get hold of what he's saying? Just look at this. Look at verse 8. See, in verse 8 he says, All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. And then in verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, do you see the comparison that Jesus is making? It's when you see the comparison that you will be amazed, surprised, blown away, maybe thinking that Jesus is totally arrogant, but it, it won't be boring, this statement. Jesus is saying, I want to give you abundant, vibrant, pulsating life, and you'll get that nowhere else. Isn't that a remarkable claim? See, because in this life, there are countless offers of life to the max, aren't there? I have three children, nine-year-old twins, Susanna and, and Bethan, and, and a little boy, Joshua, who will turn seven next week. Oh, I love them all very much indeed. I, I enjoy spending time with them most of the time, uh, but I really don't like going shopping with them, especially with Joshua. Now, it's not a thing that's particular to Joshua. He's like all children. When he's been given some money to spend and he goes into a toy shop with the shelves stacked high, he simply finds it impossible to choose. Anybody who's got young children will know this. Uh, there's a little shop in Broomhill, uh, just around the corner from Cream, a, li- a little uh, toy shop. And uh, he, I went in there the other day with him. He had five pounds to spend from his grandma. And he went in and he found the whole experience overwhelming. And so did I. Um, he, <laughs> there was so much to choose from. It was only a little shop, but there was so much to choose from. It was a, you know, he had eyes on stalks. Can I afford this one, Daddy? No. It was a dilemma for him. Uh, It's as if he had to look at every option before we could decide where to spend his five pounds. We didn't have all week. It's agony going into that little shop in Broomhill with Joshua. Just imagine what it's like going into Toys R Us. It's awful. The choice is overwhelming. It's no different for us in life. No different at all. In this extravagant, opulent, hedonistic Western world, we have so many choices before us. So many different philosophies and ideologies, so many promising us the world. And that's why Jesus' words here are quite astonishing, if not, if not arrogant. Jesus says none of them can deliver like I can. None of them can deliver what you're really looking for. He says, worse, they will rob you of the very thing that you want. In the process, they will destroy you. That's what he's saying in verse 10. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness, life to the max. Now you see, at first it looks an astonishing statement, yet when you think about it, as I've been thinking about it this week, I can see what he's saying in everything. Let me try and explain it. What, What do you look to to give you this life, vibrant life, this life worth living kind of life? What do you look to? Oh, people look at all different things. I mean, there's good old-fashioned materialism. You know, having stuff. Does it give us life? No, I think Jesus is right. I think that stuff, that philosophy, that approach to life is a robber. I think it robs us of life. Because, you see, materialism forces us to work harder, to earn extra, to have more, to get the latest must-have thing. Don't rob me of that. It doesn't give me life. It gives me these momentary pleasures. You know, when I get a new thing, it's fantastic, and then I haven't got it, and then suddenly I need something else, and I've got to keep getting the next thing. It doesn't rob. It doesn't give me life. It robs me of life. I'm sort of its slave. I mean, what else do you look for for life? What else is the world telling you where you'll find life? Sex. We have swallowed the line that sex offers the ultimate experience in life. Look, if you go to the cinema and, um, and, and you watch the films, the great high point in the film, often, if it's, a, if it's some romantic film or even not, the great high point often is not just when boy meets girl, man meets woman. It's the, the moment in the bedroom, isn't it? That's, the, that's when, the, you know, even if it's tastefully done, that's when the soft, light, so the, the soft lighting comes down and, and the music comes on. That's the high point. The, that film is telling you that's the great moment. That's what's really going to give you what you're looking for. And we've swallowed that lie. Uh, in the 60s, there was a sexual revolution. What is the sexual revolution? What has sexual freedom brought us? Has it brought us life to the full? And before I say what I'm going to say, I'm going to say, look, I think sex is a good gift that God has given. So I'm not anti-sex, but it, it's not where you're going to find the ultimate answer to life. Has it, does it give us life to the full? No. It's left in its wake thousands of broken hearts and screwed up lives, the way that we use it. Sexually transmitted diseases galloping through the teenage population of this nation. In the last decade, gonorrhea has more than tripled in boys aged between 13 and 19. It's almost the same rise in girls, and chlamydia has shown big increases in that group too. Has free love brought life? Not for the teenage girls who will be unable to bear children because of the diseases they've caught. Not for the babies that have been aborted. Look, I could go on and on giving examples of the things that offer life to the full but actually rob us of life, of real life, one way or another. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. We are lured into believing that our work, our career, the perfect relationship, the big house, the exotic holidays, that all that stuff will bring us everything we want in life. Can I appeal to you tonight to be honest about life just for a moment? I love these words of uh, Barry Humphreys in the introduction to his autobiography. Barry Humphreys uh, is better known to most of us, I guess, as Dame Edna Everidge. There's been some great things that have come out of Australia and uh, Dame Edna is definitely one of them. Now listen to what um, he says, because it's uh, Barry who's writing this rather than Edna, uh, listen to what he says. And I think very perceptively, listen to what he says about those who write autobiographies. He says, Vanity plays lurid tricks with our memory, as Conrad has observed, but the well-intentioned biography or earnest thesis can also play lurid tricks with the truth 
as its author squeezes and pummels his subject to fit a convenient or fashionable theory. He goes on, As I begin this task, aspiring to total candour, it is inevitable that I will rearrange the facts of my life in an attractive tableau, in much the same way as we arrange our features when we're about to be photographed. In that fraction of a second before the shutter clicks, our faces undergo a subtle change, a dramatic transformation. I'm sure that uh, all authors, however bent on frankness, also perform some last-minute act or or moral titivation before embarking on self-portraiture. It's good, isn't it? See what he's saying? Uh, We all do it, not just those who write autobiographies. Just as we rearrange our hair and check our makeup before a photo is taken, we rearrange the facts of how we feel about life when we're asked what we think life is all about. In the words of Barry Humphreys, we we squeeze things into a convenient or fashionable theory. Have you noticed that? Whether it's the the fashionable theory that it's fun to go out and get drunk on a Saturday night, or the fashionable theory theory that life is all about having a perfect body. I don't know why I'm pointing to mine when I say that. (laughs) We squeeze ourselves into believing that, but, but actually we know it's not true. We know it's not true the morning after the night before. We know that very few people have the perfect body and even those apparently perfect bodies that we do see have been airbrushed onto the front pages of the glossy magazines. You do know that, don't you? And we know that people who go out partying and drinking and those who marry the celebrity with the pretty face and the perfect figure, we know they're not content because we read about their lives in the tabloid press and we see their lives falling apart before our eyes. We know these things don't bring us life. But there's a fashionable theory that they do. And in our longing to be accepted by our peers, we squeeze ourselves into that lifestyle. We start to tell ourselves we're having fun, getting drunk, and throwing up all over the place. You know, whatever it is. Now let me ask you to be honest for a moment. Not just be honest with you, be honest with, with your God. Because you see, your peers will, will, will push you into this mould. The world will push you into this mould. And, and you'll not sometimes feel you can be honest and just say, no, that stuff doesn't satisfy. That stuff isn't where life is found. I've tried it and it doesn't work. Uh, Just for a moment, forget everyone else except your God and be honest with him. Those of you who think your career is where it's at, let me speak candidly. Most people I speak to don't find freedom through their career. They find themselves enslaved by their jobs. Having to work ever longer hours to get the next promotion or keep the job that funds the lifestyle that have built, they've built for themselves, or to prove to themselves and those around them that they are someone. When that's the case, your career doesn't bring you life, it robs you of freedom and peace of mind, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is saying in verse 10. These other things come to rob and steal and destroy and kill. And to those who think that a relationship will bring you the full life that you so want, again, let me say, there's nothing wrong with having a career. There's nothing wrong with relationships. Relationships are wonderful things. But if you think that's where full life is, will you see that you've been seduced by films and and song lyrics that tell you that there's a special one out there and when you find them, you will find life and a satisfaction in life that will be totally fulfilling But no relationship is like that. 
And so we go looking for someone and when things don't turn out to be quite the way Hollywood promises, we leave the one we thought would bring us what life was all about and we start over with another one. How tragic to go through life like that. But that's the fashionable theory we've brought into, you see. And the reason it's so desperate, and, and the reason that, that, you know, in a way I get quite angry about this is because no human relationship can give you total fulfilment and this lie ends up destroying thoroughly good relationships. But because they don't live up to what Hollywood has presented, you, you ditch it. You give up something that was really very good because you try to get this thing that is perfect that isn't there anyway. Do you see the problem? These promises don't deliver. More than that, they enslave us, needing more. And they do exactly what Jesus says in verse 10. They steal from us and they kill us and they destroy us and they destroy those around us. And Jesus says that he's come to give us life to the full. These other things won't give you it. Jesus says, I can. That's a surprise. Jesus says that he alone and nothing else can give the abundant, vibrant life, joy of life pulsing in us. That's really, that really is a surprise. And the reason Jesus says this, it, it, it is not a surprise actually, but it's something we don't like to talk about. See, look at Jesus' words in verse 11. Verse 11 to 13, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I think what's going on here is that Jesus is showing us that when it really matters, when the chips are down, All other things will let you down. They'll run away like hired hands. Have you noticed that about these other things? I keep seeing the devastating truth of verses 12 and 13 when I meet people, visit people who are dying. None of the things that people look to all their lives help them as they face death. You notice that? See, being a clergyman, I see it a lot more than most, I suppose. All these other things run away as death, the wolf, attacks. So I meet people who've given up their lives for their career, but their career can't help them on their deathbed. No one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I meet people who have huge houses, money in the bank, but as they face death, what good does it do them? They could afford to take the most exotic holidays and live in the lap of luxury, but they're too ill to go on holiday. Remember my friend friend who said, I really enjoy life, I'm financially secure, I'm at a point in my career where I don't have to work all the time, I have my health, I have leisure time, and the means to enjoy it, I don't want to spoil all that by following God. Look, part of the problem was he had a squiffy view of what it meant to follow Jesus now. But he certainly had no idea of what Jesus could offer him for eternity. And he wasn't facing up to the fact that although he had all this stuff, it wouldn't help him one jot when he faced death. Heard on the screen, didn't we? The brevity of life. One minute, here's a fellow in his garden, digging his garden in the morning. Everything was lovely. By the evening, he's given, well, virtually a death sentence. 
So as we've been thinking about having fullness of life, life to the max, let me ask you this. How can a life be full if it ends? See, what Jesus offers is for eternity. And by that, I don't mean simply a life that goes on forever. For some people, that is a terrifying thought. It was about 17 or 18 years ago now. I'd not been uh, a clergyman very long. I met a man in his 90s. I met him as I left a nursing home. I'd been visiting a member of the congregation there and I saw this man sitting on his own and I passed the time of day with him. The sun was shining and I said, glorious day, isn't it? And he said, no. (laughs) It was quite a shock. And and so I stopped and I I sat down next to him and, and had a chat with him. And he said to me, no one comes to see me. I can't get out of this place. I can barely get out of this chair. Every day is the same. All I ever do is sit in this chair every day. I have nothing to look forward to. I just want to die. I talked to him about eternal life and he said to me, what a horrible thought. Life going on forever and ever. I don't want that. I just want to die. See, extending a miserable life would be horrible. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He speaks of eternal life. When he speaks of eternal life, He's not just talking about life going, this life going on. He's not just talking about life that's got all its troubles going on for longer. Oh, he is talking about length, but he's talking about quality of life that is just outstanding. Have you ever had one of those days that you never wanted to end? I know what it is for you. It's when the sun is shining, when you feel relaxed and at peace with yourself, when everything feels great, when when the people you love are all around you, when, when it's just good to be alive. You've had one of those days. I want to bottle those moments, don't you? Imagine the most wonderful experience you've ever had and then multiply its intensity by infinity and then multiply its duration by eternity. That's the life that Jesus is speaking of when he speaks of eternal life. And he can deliver because of his words in verse 11. Do you see? He says, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, Jesus, when he said those words, was thinking about his death on the cross. It's what we'll be thinking about next weekend at Easter on Good Friday. His passion that brought life. His passion for life. See, Jesus died so that we could have life to the full. He died so that we could be put right with the living God. You see, you and I were made to be in relationship with God. It's when you find God that you find what you were made for. That's really what we've been talking about all evening. That's really what Jesus has been talking about when he talks about having life to the full. Do you know those situations where where you feel that you just don't fit in? We can feel like that in life. Have you had that horrible experience of being lost? It's terrifying, isn't it? Some feel that about life. Have you ever woken up in the morning with that disconcerting feeling of of being out of sorts but you're not sure why? Some feel that about life. And that's because you were made to be in relationship with God. And until we find God, we are lost, we're out of sorts, we just don't fit. That's why we actually look to these other things to fulfil us because we're desperately looking for what we were made for, whether we acknowledge it or not. But you were made for more than something in space and time. You were made for an eternal relationship with the living God. A God who is a father, who cares for you and wants the very best for you. And here's the biggest problem. 
When we look to all these other things to fulfil us, we push God out. Is that a terrible thing to do? Is it just dawning on you what a terrible thing that is? Look, I don't like to be ignored and I don't suppose you do either, but that's what we do to our Father who gave us life. He is passionate for us to turn back to him, but we ignore him and we replace him with all sorts of other things. We actually replace him with the very things we've given, he's given us to enjoy. And so we have broken our relationship with God. And that is bad now, but can you imagine how terrible that will be for all eternity? Right, the good news is this, Jesus came to die to restore our relationship with God. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the one who leads people back to God, like a shepherd, you see, and he does it by dying. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here's the thing, for Jesus to give us life, he died. He died. But so that you know that he can deliver on these promises, look at verses 17 and 18, and with this I'll close. Verses 17 and 18 to close. They're amazing verses. Now these words alone deserve a whole talk to themselves. Look at verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. What an astonishing thing to say. So much I could say on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll finish on verse 17. I lay down my life only to take it up again. Verse 18, I have authority to take up my life again after I've died. He died, Good Friday, but he rose again, Easter Sunday, gloriously rising from the dead. That's what we'll be remembering next weekend. That's why I'm convinced Jesus can offer life because he has life in himself. He is the source of life. And he's proved that in that when he died, he rose again. When you find someone else who can do that, then you can begin to match them with Jesus. It's odd, people have said to me, I don't want to become a Christian, I love life too much. But you know, I don't believe them. I don't believe them. Because when Jesus offers life to the max, they don't even want to think about it. And this is, the, this is the thing, if you really love life that much, if you say, I love life, if you really love life that much, you want a slice of this, otherwise you don't love life at all. Because all that you can have is 70 or 80 years, if you're lucky, here on this damaged planet. I really love life. I want to live forever with Jesus, in a perfect relationship with the God I was made for. That's to enjoy life. That is life to the full. That is a passion for life. Well, look, I'm ever so pleased that you've come and thank you very much for listening. I'm imagining that there's going to be some people here. Some have been coming for a long time and have realised that, although they may have even called themselves Christian, again and again, you've been looking to other things to give you fulfilment. There'll be others here who've come for the first time and you, maybe you've had lots of chats with your friends and you've suddenly thought, I understand what it's about now. There'll be some people here who, who've come along and, and uh, you've never really thought about this before but it, this has done what we said at the beginning, it's connected. And you thought, this has explained life to me. I understand it now. Well, for you, I'm going to pray a prayer now if you want to start with Jesus have this life to the full. Let me say, this doesn't mean you have no problems. This doesn't mean that life will be 
easy, but you will know what life is about and you will be guaranteed eternal life. And this is how the prayer is going to go. And I'm going to tell you now, so that if you want to pray it, you can pray it line by line with me so that you know what's coming, so that I don't put words into your mouth that you don't want to pray. This is how it goes. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've looked to other things to give me life, life that can only be found in Jesus. I see now that Jesus is the source of life. I want to live for him now. I want to benefit from his death to give me life. Please give me your Holy Spirit that I may live for you and give me the assurance of life eternal with you. Amen. That's how it's going to go. Now, if that's the sort of prayer you want to pray, there's no no pressure. It won't be right for some of you. But if that's the sort of prayer you want to pray, uh, then we'll pray it now and we'll pray it line by line. So you can either stay seated with your eyes open. Some of us like to close our eyes. I'm not going to close mine or I won't be able to read the words here. Um, But you can echo this prayer in your heart and God will hear it if you mean it sincerely so here we go, here's the prayer line by line, echo it in your heart, in your mind and God will hear it Heavenly Father I'm sorry that I've looked to other things to give me life life that can only be found in Jesus I now see that Jesus is the source of life I want to live for him now. I want to benefit from his death to give me life. Please give me your Holy Spirit that I may live for you and give me the assurance of life eternal with you. Amen.